Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. All right, church, would you help me welcome Jabron? He's going to come and share his heart with us today. So excited to hear what he has to say. Love you. Appreciate you. Yes, come on now. How many of you guys felt something shift in, in worship there? Man, that, that's, that's, praise and worship is such a supernatural thing. And I don't know if you know this, but God actually does stuff behind the scenes in the spirit. We begin to praise and we, we begin to worship. I believe that. You know, some, to the casual observer, it may seem kind of crazy. Like, why are they jumping? Why are they clapping? Why are they singing? Uh, why are they singing with all their hearts and all their passions? Is somebody on the outside looking in? It may seem a little bit weird, but I know even through, through my life and my experience that God does stuff when I begin to truly praise and worship him in spirit and truth. And as we look in the word, God sets ambush against our enemies when we begin to praise and worship in spirit and truth. Come on, somebody. It's not weird. It's not abnormal. It is so godly and so spiritual. We can give everything to God and recognize who he truly is, who he's truly been, what he's done in our lives, how worthy he is. Amen? Come on. All right. Uh, This morning, we're going to continue in our series, uh, Family and Deep Wells, as we prioritize um, the topic and subject of family. And um, if you have your Bible, we can uh, turn in Psalm 127. We'll, we'll begin with that chapter and verse, and I'll read that in just a moment. But as we prioritize families and the topic of families, I'm reminded of a, a, a story of a, a man who prioritized his family, right? There's, there, was this, there was this man, um, to give you a a little background or a little picture of what went on. There was this man who always desired to go to the Super Bowl, right? He always wanted to go. Like, this is like the main event uh, of sports, right? It's the, the, one of the biggest events of the year. If you're a sports fan, if you're a football fan, you know, the Super Bowl is a place to be. And there's a lot of people that want to go, but to get a ticket, it's so expensive, you can't afford it. And there was this guy, he, he saved up for years and years and years and years to just to get a chance to go to the Super Bowl, right? He was a sports fan. It wasn't even his team playing in the Super Bowl, but he just wanted to go to get the experience. So he finally got his ticket, right? He got his ticket, started to make his way to the stadium, started to make his way to the seat. And even though he saved for years, the ticket that he could afford was way up in the nosebleed section, right? It was way up high where the players looked like little ants on the field. But still, he was satisfied. He was, he was excited to be in this environment of the Super Bowl, right? So he's sitting up in his seat. You know, he's there early. He sees all the pregame stuff, all the hoorah and all the, the fun stuff going on. And the game is not started yet. So people are coming to sit in their seats. The stadium is starting to fill up. So he eyes this section right next to the 50-yard line close to the field. And there's, he notices an empty seat next to an older gentleman. He's like, hmm, I wonder if somebody's going to go and sit in that seat. So... He waited and he waited and he waited. And as it got closer to the game, nobody came to sit next to this gentleman. He's like, man, I'm going to give it a shot. See, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down there and see if there's anybody actually taking that seat, taking that ticket. Because that would be awesome to not only experience the Super Bowl, but get on the 50-yard line and see it up close and personal. So he got out of his seat. He made his way down. He probably took him like 15, 20 minutes to get down from where he was to nobly to the, to the empty seat. And he approached the gentleman sitting next to the empty seat. And this was an older gentleman. Um, uh, elderly gentleman, and he says, excuse me, sir. He says, I notice you're sitting next to the seat. Nobody's sitting here. Is, is, is anybody coming to fill the seat? And the older gentleman was like, he's, he says, you know what? This seat does belong to me, but uh, today nobody's sitting in the seat. Um, he says, nobody's sitting in the seat. 
So he's thinking like, what? He's like, well, anyways, uh, can, can, I, can I go ahead and uh, take the seat if nobody's going to be sitting in it? He's like, yeah, you know what? You can go ahead and, and sit down. You can. And this guy's like freaking out. He's like, man, I get to sit on the 50-yard line. He's sitting next to this guy, so his mind is spinning. He's like, wonder why nobody's taking the seat. So he leans over and asks the guy. He says, hey, so, so how come you got this empty seat here? And he says, well, uh, this seat was for my wife. Um, you see, we've been to every Super Bowl since 1973 together. And this is the first Super Bowl that we haven't had a chance, that we didn't get the chance to spin it together. My wife recently passed away. And this is the very first one that I'm watching the Super Bowl without her. And the guy's like, oh, man, he's grieved, right? He's got this heavy heart. He's excited. He's sitting in this nice seat. But then all of a sudden, he's like, man, he's, he's starting to feel bad for this guy. And then his mind is spinning again. The wheels are spinning again. And he's like, man. So he's thinking, like, he leans over to the guy again. He goes, like, man, I'm so sorry to hear that your wife passed away. But, like, you didn't, you didn't have a, a friend, a close friend, a relative, a cousin. You can call to come sit in the seat. I just realized it's empty. And the older gentleman, he goes, he said, you know what? I did have some close friends, and I did have some family members, some cousins, and people that are really close to me, but they're all at the funeral right now. So, so I couldn't invite any of them. Therefore, I had an empty seat. So, bro, you're good. But I, if you got the joke, he prioritized the Super Bowl over his wife's funeral. Right, kind of makes this guy seem like, you know, kind of a bad guy, right? But if you really think about it, he he's probably thinking, this is what my wife really wanted for me to be here. Right, come on, Pastor Sir, come on, right? This is what she would have wanted today for me to not, to not to be grieving, but to be enjoying the Super Bowl with her in my memory. All right, I just wanted to share that. It's a little funny joke. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for the ability to get into your word today and talk about and discuss, God, your plan, your purpose, your desire, God, for family, God, for our families. You have placed us all in a spiritual family, God, and you've placed us all in, in, in natural families as well, God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us today, God. I pray, Holy Ghost, you would rest on this moment. I pray you would illuminate various things. I know the scripture verses that we're going to hear and go over, God, we probably read tons of times, but I pray you, you, you would speak, God, in a brand new way this morning. I pray you would illuminate things in our hearts and our minds, God, to connect with you in a greater way, God. We thank you. We thank you for what already took place, God, just in the spirit realm, God, as we, we exalted your name, God, and as we worshiped, Lord God. I thank you, God, for the mountains, God, that you're moving, God. I thank you for the ways that you are going to war on our behalf, God. And we just thank you for this moment. We pray you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to continue our theme this morning, as I mentioned. I love the, the verse in Psalm chapter 127, verse 1. It says, unless the Lord builds a house, they who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards a city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And I think about when it comes to family and building family, and even beyond that, I'm kind of in a season right now where God is building things in me and even building uh, uh, things in business that I, ha that I run and, and, and the business world. And he's, he's taking care of the things that I feel like are important. God is constantly reminding me that, hey, I'm the one that's building it. He says, you know, you may feel the burden to put in the work, to put in the labor, and that's good. But ultimately, I am the one who is building your family. I'm the one who's building your home. I'm the one who's building your business, right? You co-labor with me, but the burden, the ultimate burden on the one who actually builds is God, right? 
And I love this verse. God is constantly reminding me of this. And, and as we know, family is huge. It's, it's big to God. And the restoration even of broken families is big to God. God even speaks about in John chapter 1 of his own family. He, he loved his family so much. It says that, that those that believed in the name of his son, those who received him, he's given us the right to become children of God. Family is huge to God. He gives us a picture of the kingdom with family, right? That he's the ultimate one that builds it. And, and I love how sometimes if, if, if things within family, if things get a little skewed or things get broken, things get disjointed or out of place, that God has the ability to put things back together and restore. And that's, that's kind of what we're going to be going over today. How many believe that God has the ability to restore? God has the ability to heal right? If Jesus has the ability to restore blind eyes, which he does, if Jesus has the ability to raise up those that cannot walk, to unplug, unclog deaf ears, if he has the ability to raise a man that has been dead for four days in a tomb and bring him back to life, I believe that God has the ability to restore anything and heal anything, right? If you're in a situation where you feel like in your own personal family things may be a little out of whack, things may be disjointed, things may be fractured, or things could be broken and have been broken for years. I want to encourage you this morning with hope that God has the ability to restore. He is the great restorer. Amen. And uh, in this series that we've been going over in the past few weeks, we've highlighted uh, in the Old Testament the family of Abraham, God's people, right? God's chosen lineage, his his nation, uh, beginning with Abraham. And we, and we saw, and even as we discussed, and Pastor Sam did it so amazingly, just walking through, talking about the lives of individuals in the Old Testament with Abraham and how he had some certain flaws, right, with how he deceived uh, a king, a foreign king, about his wife, Sarah. So it was a little bit of deception. Even though Abraham was deemed a friend of God, he had some things that weren't quite right, quite right in his life, right? He had some deception, and we see that generational pattern passed down to Isaac, right? Isaac encountered almost the identical situation where he deceived a king in a foreign land about his wife, Rebecca. We see this pattern of deception, and as we move along, looking at Isaac and Rebecca, they ended up having some sons, right? They had some sons, Isaac and Jacob, and we can see that even the deception that they took part in, Rebecca continued the deception with placing her son, Jacob, who she favored over Esau, who Isaac favored. We saw a little bit of favoritism between mother and father and, and, and sons, right? We can see that pattern there. And Ultimately, Isaac was deceived in all, not the same way, but he, was, he reaped some of the seed that he put in the ground of deception in his own life. He thought he was giving the birthright to Esau, which is his older son, but it went to Jacob, his younger son. He was deceived. He deceived, and now he's being deceived. This pattern that goes on and on and continues to flow on. Now, Jacob, man, he, he wanted the birthright. He wanted the right thing, but he went about it the wrong way. So Jacob, with his mother Rebecca, engaged in a level of deception. And, and then as time goes on, Jacob has his birthright, and he decides that he's of age to get married, and he sees this, this, this girl. He's like, oh, man, uh, mm, come on now. It's, ta- it's time to roll with this thing. And he, he, he sees uh, uh, Rachel, right? And he wants to marry Rachel, so, which is, by the way, his first cousin. Um, I know. I know. Um, but he sees this girl, Rachel, right, which is his first cousin. So he has to approach his, her father, uh, Laban, which is his uncle, right, his, his, 
his mother's brother. Okay, yeah, I know. Um, things were a little bit different back then, okay? So he approached Laban, his uncle, to marry her, his daughter, her first, his first cousin, Rachel. So he goes, he says, okay, if you want to marry my daughter, your first cousin, you got to work for me for a little bit. But he ends up getting deceived. First seven years, he's like, man, I got this seven years. Mm. Come on, Rachel, let's go for it. And, and, and Laban says, uh-oh, hold up, hold up, hold up. See, what had happened was, <laughs> I didn't mean Rachel, I meant Leah. See, I, I, what came out of my mouth, you heard, you misheard, bro, I'm sorry. You got to work for another seven years. So, so, so Jacob is experiencing being deceived even after he deceived, even after the pattern of this. It just keeps going along the line, right? And as we fast forward, even as Jacob now is married, he's starting to have his own kids with Rachel and Leah, his first cousins. He's starting to have children. There's a little bit of favoritism in his own life between his, for some of his younger sons, Joseph, ultimately Benjamin. He favors uh, Rachel over Leah because that's the wife he really wanted any, anyway. And as the pattern goes, and we're going to get into here, we're going to see that that Jacob even continues to be deceived by his own sons. The pattern of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, which is Israel, to now 12 tribes, deception keeps moving along. And, 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 and as we look at family patterns like this, come on, Pastor Tim, I appreciate that. Yes. Come on, I appreciate that. Sometimes that like, that like fight, as, as preachers, like when you hear like some feedback, that fires you up. Like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm heading in the right direction. Or what I'm saying is not totally wrong. It's not totally off. It's not blasphemy. So, yes, all right, I'm heading in the right direction. And we look at, as we look at family patterns like this, I'm sure you can, as even if I, as I've spoken of this pattern within Abraham's lineage, in your own family line, you might think of some things that pop up in your mind, right? Some tendencies, some internal things, some iniquitous patterns that may have flowed down from generation to generation to generation. And you may even be experiencing in your life, or you may even see play out in your children's lives, your grandchildren's lives. It's just a, a pattern, right? We've all been birthed into sin, right? We can't get away from this thing. But there's certain sins specific to certain bloodlines. There's certain patterns that God desires to break and stop, certain things that God does not desire to go from generation. Sin is the hugest thing. God wants sin to stop, but we are living in the flesh, and there's certain things that we need to address and deal with, even as believers, that God wants to change within our, our family bloodline. Amen? And as we desire, as we look at our own lives, we desire to see some of these things change. I believe what helps in the antidote for change within our own DNA, our own bloodline, is, is not what Michael Jackson said to do is looking in the man in the mirror. I don't, I don't believe that's it because that only helps out to a certain degree because there's certain things that may be wrong internally that we cannot see through a mirror. There's certain things that we need to do, get face-to-face -face with God in for him to pinpoint and pull out and for him to shine his light on. Because when we're looking at in the mirror, we can only see the things that are visible. But there's things internally that God wants to heal and change and break that only he has the key to unlock and do for us in our lives, right? Like uh, my mother is, is the only oldest person living above me. All my grandparents are gone, right? Um, my, my father passed away. I was blessed to have some great times with my dad before he passed away. I even had some minimal times with my 
grandmother and on my mom's side and my grandmother on my father's side. I had some conversations, but I don't know that I don't know all the things that went down in my family tree from third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh generation. I don't know all the things that my family has dealt with. Right. I know to a degree from, from my grandparents and what they've told me, but I don't know some of the things that God wants to highlight and, and, and allow to stop in my generation so my kids don't have to experience until I get alone and get face to face with God and allow him to search me. Search me, oh God. See if there be any wicked way in, way in me. Face to face. Cara a cara, right? In, in, in Espanol. I'm, I'm trying to flex my Spanish muscle, right? I'm trying to learn as much Spanish as, as I can. In the nombre de Jesus. Um, but it's un- not until we get along with God and we get face to face with God that He's able to highlight who we really are. How I many know it's important? Who, who we really are is important to God. And it's, it's the fast forward. I know we highlight this verse, but it's, it's just so awesome. Ver- the verse is so awesome to, to picture, um, picture our state before God. If you Remember in Luke 18, there was a, a scenario where this tax collector or the publican came and pled before God with this Pharisee, right? The Pharisee came up to God and says, man, I, I thank God that, that I'm not like this man, but I do this and I do this and I do this, right? I tithe, I fast twice a week, I do this and I do this. And, and the publican or the sinner or the tax collector, he came and he fell. He said he wasn't even worthy to turn his face to God, right? He wasn't even worthy to look up to heaven and even talk to have a conversation with God. But he beat his chest and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you look at the, the contrast between this, this publican or this tax collector and this Pharisee, the Pharisee addressed God by his accomplishments, right? His, his, um, all of the tasks that he had done right, right? All of his achievements, like he was, he, all we know about him was the things that he had done, right? He was a Pharisee, but that speaks to his level of education or his level of religious status or professional level that he had risen to, not to who he is, but the, the sinner, the publican came to God and he addressed who he was. I'm a sinner. You know, sometimes when people come to you and they tell you all that they do, it may be that they don't want you to know who they really are. And this, this Pharisee masked who he really was by what he did. I did this. Oh, God, you know, I'm, I'm good at this. Oh, you know, I've got degrees in this area. Oh, you know, what? I, I, I've accomplished this, this place in my financial status. I'm, I'm, I'm this, I'm, I've, I've achieved this mountain. But God says, I don't care about any of that. Who are you? There's this guy that I know, right, I've, I've come to know for a little bit. He's in a, a, this professional field that he's really good in, right? He's, he's perceivably number one in his, his area of expertise. And every time I talk to him, that's all he's talking about. Oh, man, you should have seen it. You know, I got number one last month, and I'm number one this whole year. And in this area, I'm the best. And in this area, and I'm the best. And, and nobody can touch me in this area. But that's all the, that's all the conversation lands on. But this guy, to know some of the details of his life, he's actually a horrible person. But he throws up all of his accomplishments, all of his skills, all of the things that he's achieved to mask or camouflage who he really is. And it's until we take off the camouflage and come to God with our hearts open and say, God, search me, change me. You see, God has given uh, animals uh, the ability to be camouflaged, to hide in their surroundings as a protection mechanism, right? as a a mechanism so they wouldn't be hunted and killed. Animals that maybe are not fast or not strong or they don't have like a poisonous um, 
a poisonous defense. God has given animals ability to hide and blend into their surroundings so they can almost become invisible. This Pharisee was like, oh, man, I'm good at this. Oh, I'm going to check this out, man. I've got fact, God, I'm the best Pharisee all around. But the sinner was like, God, have mercy on me. Here I am raw, God. God, I got issues, God. My family's got issues, God. I need your help, God. And I can only, to the degree I can only come to you, God, and allow you to address these issues in my life and become vulnerable, become transparent to allow you to reach into some of these deep areas that I'm able to change and be healed. Not with a God I do, I do, I do, but God, this is who I am. As we continue on and we see in, in Israel's lineage, we can see this, this pattern continue to go on and on. And as we jump back into Jacob's family, and we're going to jump in here, and the passage of Scripture we're going to read is Genesis 45. And I'm going to walk you up to 45 because I know a lot of us know the history of Joseph, but I don't want to take for granted that any of us or all of us do know the history. So I'll just walk you up to that point and not read um, all these chapters. This, it, I encourage you to read it, though, because it's a span of about 14 chapters that God uh, highlights the light of life of Joseph between ch- Genesis chapter 37 all the way through chapter 50. And it's a phenomenal, phenomenal account of what God did in this young man's life, who is really a type of Christ. But I'm not going to take the time to read it this morning. I know we got limited amount of time. Um, but Joseph, as I mentioned, he was favored by Jacob, his father. And the Bible says that Jacob, he loved Joseph more than his other brothers. The Bible actually says that. And his brothers, his other brothers saw that Jacob, their father, loved Joseph more than them, and they actually hated him. They hated him, and and their father went to great lengths to celebrate his son, which is awesome. But he showed an element of favoritism, made this this amazing coat of many colors, right? This this fabulous, long-flowing coat. And he's Joseph walking around with this coat while his other brothers are looking raggedy, right? You know, they're they're shepherding and stinking. But he's got this nice flowing robe. He's like, hey, guys, what's up, man? You check out my new jacket. And Joseph had this little bit of arrogance about him, this little air about him, right? So they hated, they literally hated their brothers to the extent that they wanted to kill their brother. And one day they had a plot to do so until two brothers stepped in and said, no, 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 we can't do this. Let's do this instead. Let's actually throw him in the pit and then we're going to sell him into slavery. Joseph, this 17-year-old boy, their little brother. Can you imagine that? If you got siblings to do that to one of your own siblings, how much, you, how much of a level of hate you had to have for them? Throw them in a pit, and we're going to sell them into slavery. We don't, God knows who, what they're going to do with our little brother. Joseph was one of the first examples in the Bible of human trafficking. And, and Joseph was eventually sold into slavery to Potiphar. He went to Potiphar's house, a nobleman, and Joseph served in Potiphar's house faithfully. He was amazing. The Bible says that the favor of God rested upon Joseph. The favor of God rested upon Joseph. The Bible says that everything Joseph did, God allowed to elevate and prosper. One specific verse said that God blessed Joseph because he was with him. I mean, that's a simple, simple phrase, but that means so much. God was with him. It's, you know, you, you want things to flourish and prosper in your life. You want God to be with you. And, and There are times when God may not be with you. You may be on your own. You may be doing your own thing. But Joseph's heart was for God. How do I get God with me? How did God 
How was God with Joseph? Because Joseph was with God. It's simple. I'll say that again. How was God so with Joseph? Check this out. Because Joseph was with God. Sometimes when we pursue God, that's a natural byproduct of God being with us, walking with us, talking with us, being so close to the air we breathe. I love that scripture in the New Testament says, he says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. It's an exchange. I'm not just going to by chance be with you just because you call yourself a Christian, just because you go to church on Sunday morning, just because you read your Bible maybe occasionally or you pray once a while. That, no, are you with me? Are you with me in the decisions that you make? Are you with me in in the areas that I call you to obedience? Are you with me in the areas that you're able to forgive and release and do what I call you to do? Bible says that God was with Joseph because Joseph was with God. So Potiphar's noticing this level of favor on Joseph's life. Everything he's doing is prospering. So Potiphar elevates Joseph to a high position within his home. Even though Joseph had, was in the pit, right, he doesn't know what's going on. A teenage boy, this world is spinning around him, but he stays faithful to God. God is maturing him through this process. He's in slavery in a foreign place. And God is blessing him. He's elevating him. And until Potiphar's wife, the man who he's serving, tries to get at him, Joseph says, uh-uh, we ain't going that way. Er, hold, pump your brakes. No, we ain't doing that. Joseph, a man of integrity, says, no, we're not going that route. And she basically lied on Joseph to get him thrown into prison. Innocent man. Innocent man. All he wants to do is serve God. All he wants to do is follow God. Now he's thrown into prison. Some accounts or some records or some... Uh, scholars believe that Joseph was in the prison from anywhere between 10 to 12 years serving this this sentence, that he's in this prison, right, with his thoughts of what his brothers did to him, with all the emotions, with all the things running through his mind, with how this woman just basically lied on him, betrayed all the hard work he invested into their home, into their household, time spinning through his mind. But while in the prison, God is blessing Joseph. God was with Joseph in the prison, just like he was at Potiphar's house. God is elevating him. Even his gifting, the thing that God gifted Joseph with is continuing to flow. He's still having these dreams, these prophetic dreams. And I I failed to mention that God gave him two prophetic dreams about his family when he was 17. When he got that code, God gave him prophetic dreams about becoming a leader and ruler, not only of them, but of, of a nation. God gave Joseph this dream, and he shared that with him. That's why his brother's like, man, get out of here, Joseph. We're not going to serve you. You're not going to be ruled over us. But Joseph is getting these prophetic dreams, knowing exactly what God is saying through these dreams. Even while he's in prison, he has a butler and he has a baker who he interprets dreams for. They, one, one didn't have a good outcome. The baker didn't have a good outcome, but the butler was was reinstated back to his position. And he says, Joseph says, don't forget about me. When you go back to Potiphar, tell him about me. Tell him about my gift, hoping that some way he would be released from the prison. The butler forgot about him. He's serving more time in prison until God gives Potiphar these prophetic dreams that he doesn't know what to do with. And then the butler says, oh, yeah, remember, there's this guy in prison. Let's call Joseph. Joseph comes and interprets the dream that God gave to Potiphar. And that, that, those dreams that he had, two prophetic dreams, end up saving not only Egypt, but all the nations, all the surrounding nations, including Jacob's, or Joseph's own family, Jacob's family as well. So fast forward, 
we get to a place where everybody's coming to Egypt because of these prophetic dreams that Joseph had was to uh, strategize and save all the plentiful years, seven plentiful years, and store that away. So when they were going to encounter famine, a part of what God showed to, to Pharaoh, he says, when we encounter famine, we're going to be able to enjoy and we're going to be able to, to sustain ourselves based off of what we do. So famine hits, everybody's starving except for the Egyptians because they had this plan in place. And everybody's from the surrounding areas are coming to Egypt just to get food, right? Including Jacob's family, including Israel's family. So they, they make their journey, right? The, the brothers, um, except for the youngest one, Benjamin, Joseph's uh, younger brother. They share the same mother, Rachel. They all come. Joseph recognizes them, right? He's like, those are my brothers. He, he puts them through a series of different things as they are trying to get food. And, and I, again, I encourage you to, to, to go read this because this story is so powerful. And I love how this, how this story is depicted in Joseph King, King of Dreams. I love that movie. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie. You know, I love to, to watch movies like that. I show my kids that movie. I, I actually started to tear up when he was in prison and he was singing a, a song unto God. Like, he's got this light shining through the window. He's watering this flower and the flower's growing. But, you know, I started to tear up. I'm like, I was feeling bad for Joseph, man. I'm like, God, you got a plan for Joseph. I already knew the outcome. But, God, you got a plan for Joseph. And he's singing this song, God, you know better than I, right? I was getting moved by this cartoon movie, man. But go read it. I, the, the, the movie doesn't do it, Jesse. You need to read the, these passages. So, um, so he encounters his brother, and he sends him kind of on a wild goose chase, and they eventually come back. Um, they go back and forth, and, and the period, some say, is about two years. It doesn't just happen instantaneously where they initially come to get food. Joseph recognizes them. He doesn't reveal his identity to them. They don't know it's Joseph. Joseph, over the period of years, has grown, right? He looks like an Egyptian now. He's dressed like an Egyptian uh, ruler. He speaks Egyptian. He's actually learned a different language. You know, how, how, you know sometimes how time will do things to you and how you look, right? Um, you know, there's some people say it's beauty is skin deep, but ugly is to the bone. <laughs> I'm not trying to say Joseph was ugly by any means, but I can imagine time had done something to Joseph, right? They could not recognize him. They didn't know it was him. So he was disguised, and eventually, he said, bring your younger brother, Benjamin. They didn't want to do it because they know how it would have bro broken his father's heart, Jacob's heart. He already lost one son, Joseph, and now he was about to face losing his other son. So they didn't want to do it, but, it, but they had to live. They had to get food. So they sent Benjamin, and uh, uh, it came to a climax where uh, Joseph tested his brothers. He didn't want to let Benjamin go home. And Judah stepped up. He says, no, 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 you can't do this. You can't do this. See, this is what happened. My father already lost one son. And if he loses another, he won't make it. He's, he's going to die for sure. You can't do that. And, Ju and Judah says, take me instead. And he sees the change in his brothers. He sees what, the, what their father has gone through, how it affected his brothers, and how they were sitting there talking with each other, discussing, broken over the situation. He, Joseph sees that. And we pick this up in Genesis 45. I'm going to read well, 1 through 9. And it says this, Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. At this point, that, at this point where Joseph, uh, Judah says, take me instead of my younger brother, J Benjamin. This is what Joseph did. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He finally revealed himself. And he wept. Joseph wept. 
Bible says he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh, they heard it. Man, he was crying so hard, so vehemently, that people in the other parts of the palace could hear him wailing over his brothers. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. For now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he, was, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house. And say to him, oh, a, ruler of, a ruler throughout all of Egypt, hurry and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. Now we can see here, first off, I want to just pinpoint a couple of things and we'll move to close. Um, one thing is we notice that Jake, Joseph's emotion when he reveals himself to his brothers, right? He begins to wail. He begins to weep. As, we, as you read the account of Joseph, when he was thrown into the pit, he didn't cry. There's no emotion shown, at least through Scripture, through that encounter. I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure that that was uh, one of the worst places that Joseph was, had been in up until that period of time in his life. Thrown in a pit, not knowing what's going to happen to him. It doesn't say that Joseph showed any type of emotion. Then he was sold into slavery, not knowing where his life was going to go from there. It doesn't show, say that Joseph cried about a situation. It doesn't say he grieved at all, right? It doesn't say anything about that. And then when he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, when he was thrown into prison, it doesn't say that Joseph broke down and cried so hard that all of the prison could hear him. It doesn't, it doesn't address any of that. These times where Joseph encountered uh, trial after trial after trial, we don't see any type of emotion or crying or weeping up until even a few chapters before this, you'll notice that Joseph breaks down a couple times when he notices what his brothers are going through. Why now? Why now, Joseph? Why now are you all of a sudden going through this? I, I want to say something, and, and I think it can apply to all of us, is that when we encounter troubles, we encounter trials, those things have a shelf life. Those things have an expiration date. Some people say Trump, troubles don't last always. That's true. We're going to enter trouble, but we're also going to exit trouble. Trouble will not remain, but trauma sometimes does. Joseph had all that trauma from those experiences still dwelling on, still pent up in his heart that all of a sudden it just had to come out like a rushing well before his brothers. You may be past the trouble in your family. You may be past the issues that you may have had with certain individuals. You may be past some of that trouble you experienced early in life. You might have been abused as a child. You may be say, man, I'm past that, but, but that trauma still may remain. And God brought Joseph to a point to be able to reconcile and to be able to release and even experience a level of healing and breakthrough with his brothers from the trauma that he experienced. And even though he had trauma from his past, Joseph demonstrated the principle of compassion. He demonstrated the principle of compassion four different times as we see 
as I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself, but as we see Joseph was grieving and weeping, he says, I'm not going to charge this against you. You see, Joseph had the ability to do even more damage to his family than his family had done to him. He was second in command of Egypt. He could have just said, no, you go your way. You starve. For what you put me through, for, for what I experienced, for what I had to dwell on all these years in the pit, as a slave in the prison, he could have retaliated to the maximum degree. But you know what he did? He had compassion on his brothers. I'm going to read one more verse to, to, to depict this. It says, in, uh, to fast forward in Genesis 50, it says this in verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that, the, this is after J- Jacob had died, he said, when Joseph saw that his father was dead, perhaps they said to themselves, Joseph will hate us, and he may actually repay us for all the evil we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, before your father died, he commanded, saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, I beg you, Joseph, please forgive the trespass, trespasses of your brother and forgive their sin for the evil that they did. Now, please for, now, now please forgive, okay, let me read that again. Now, please forgive the trespasses of the servants of the God of, of your father. And Joseph wept. Again, he's weeping. And when he, they spoke to him, then his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. This is Joseph's amazing response. He said, don't be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You, meant, you had bad intentions, but God had good intentions. He says, this day to save many people alive. Now check out this last verse. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. How many of us would be in that same position to comfort and speak kindly of after all that we went through? And I believe what helped Joseph to have a heart of kindness and compassion towards his brothers, number one, is that he was like God. He embodied the nature of God. Through all that he went through, God refined him. God changed him. God went deep within him to pull out some of those things. And he had the character of Christ. But I also think what helped Joseph to enter that phase and not retaliate on his brothers, and this is the last thing, and I'll invite the worship team to come back, is that What helped Joseph not to come back against his brother is that he chose to focus on the purpose and plan of God rather than the plots and harms from man. Joseph wasn't focused on what his brothers did. Joseph wasn't focused on what Potiphar's wife did. Joseph wasn't focused on the... uh, the butler and how he forgot him. He could have pointed to all these situations and became bitter and, and got more angry and got more frustrated. And, and that, in turn, wouldn't have developed Jacob to the point where he could forgive and release and have compassion on his brothers. But when he chose to say, no, 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 it wasn't you, it was God, because God had a bigger purpose. God had a bigger plan. I know what you did, and, and, and God may have used you. That's fine, but I don't count that against you. And doesn't that speak to even the, the bigger picture and the so- sovereignty of God to still love us in spite of our sin, right, to still love us in spite of our mistakes that we offend and we, and we do things to grieve the heart of God, but God to still love us to the point where if he would do it all over again, he would to send his own son, Jesus, to die in our place. Come on. Come on. That speaks to the heart of God. Joseph got face to face with God enough to embody the character of God to love 
in spite of infraction, in spite of offense, in spite of all these threats that came against his life. He says, you know what? It's not you. God had a purpose. Now I can see. I didn't know it then, but I can see the purpose to save our family, to, to save this family, to save all the earth. God did this for a reason. I'm not mad at you. Come on, get all the food you need. Come on. Bring, your, bring, bring our father. I want to see him. I haven't seen him in all these years. He wasn't mad that he missed this valuable time even with his father. All these years he missed. He wasn't even mad about that. No, bring him. I got to see my dad before he dies. Oh, man. When we choose to focus on the bigger purpose and plan of God and know that he does have a bigger plan, it's easier for us to help put those pieces back together where they've been fractured, where they've been disjointed. And maybe not even by our own fault or maybe not even by something that we did or we caused or something immediately somebody else within our family that's close to us caused. You see, with Joseph, Joseph, it, it wasn't just... Because to look at the picture of his forgiveness, it's so great. It's so vast. What his brothers, it wasn't just what they did. It was who they were. They committed some egregious things against their blood, their brother. And it wasn't just what they did, but it was who they were. How close in proximity they were to this man. And if we can stand this morning, I just want to pray for us. As we close, thank you for listening to the Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about the Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.